Episode 78 of the Small Business Startup Essentials Podcast, Leaving Corporate Finance to Start Neighbor Force, an interview with Paige Wilson. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Small Biz Startup Essentials podcast. This show is dedicated to helping you with your small business launch. And this show is for you if you're tired of just thinking about following your dream, but now you actually want to take a step in the right direction and believe in yourself. Maybe you're making that later in life pivot and you want to retire with purpose. I'll help you go from dream to destiny step by step and give you the ingredients you'll need for the recipe of small business success. Please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes. You can go to tomclaremont.com for more information on how I can help you with your new startup. Well, folks, very pleased to have with us today Paige Wilson from NeighborForce. And uh, NeighborForce is a service for our communities that helps to provide services for uh, elderly people that uh, need some assistance in their homes. Paige, thanks for being with us today. I'm glad to be here. And uh, Paige, you know, this is something that's sort of uh, was personal for me. Uh, I lost my mom a couple of years ago, but uh, uh, not too long ago, my my mom was still uh, in in her own home, and uh, back when we were both living in upstate New York, uh, but she needed some assistance, and we uh, we didn't have uh, the the type of service like neighbor force at the time. Uh, and so, so when I saw your uh, LinkedIn profile and uh, looked into NeighborForce and to what what they do and how they provide it, I was really interested in learning more about uh, you and uh, NeighborForce in particular. And I said to myself, you know what? If if this is something that still interests me, even though. Uh, my parents uh, are, have passed. I, I'm thinking that it, uh, because our our listeners are uh, in the um, you know, later in life pivot sort of uh, perspective, that maybe maybe there's other listeners uh, of the podcast that would be interested in this as well. And you have uh, an interesting story of how you left the corporate realm, sure, right, to start your own business. Can you sort of fill us in on the timeline uh, on how that happened for you, your personal pivot? Uh, sure. Um, so I was born and raised in Richmond, Virginia, mm-hmm. which is where Neighbor Force is headquartered, um, and spent most of my career in large corporate finance roles, mm-hmm. large employers around the Richmond region for the most part. Um, and about 10 years ago, my 78-year-old mother broke her hip. Mm. And... That was kind of the beginning. It sounds like you went through the same thing. Mm -hmm. Kind of the beginning of her needing lots of little bits and pieces of help. She wanted to age in her home. She wanted to continue to live this full life. You know, she wasn't ready to go out to pasture. You know, she was larger than life. She was full of joy. And so I was the alpha daughter. I lived five minutes from my mother. Mm -hmm. Loved her to pieces. Uh, Wanted to do everything to help her. 
in this, you know, phase where she was. She wasn't at the point where she needed aides and nurses. She needed just a little bit of support here and there. But I was widowed young. I was raising a teenage daughter and I had a demanding career. I traveled a lot. And so it was very stressful. You know, I, I, like I said, I had wanted to be there to help her with all these things, but I couldn't. And so I started looking for a resource. And what I found was there really was none. Either you're fully independent or maybe you ask your friends or neighbors to help you with things. And you're kind of stuck until you actually do need an aide or a nurse. You know, but aides, they come in scrubs and they're there for four to eight hours a day. And mm-hmm. she didn't need that yet. She did not want that yet. She still right. viewed herself as very independent. Um, and so, you know, we got through it. I actually at one point took some family medical leave from my job because it was just so stressful for me. And by the way, I didn't want my mom to feel like she was stressing me out. Mm. Um, so I tried to hide that from her. So, you know, this went on for a number of years. She ultimately did need home care, but she still needed little bits and pieces of the things that I did for her. And so when she passed away in 2014, I actually said, you know what? This took so much out of me. I, I need to change. I've, I need to move, mm-hmm. leave Richmond. I just need a change of scenery. And so I interviewed in New York, Boston, and D.C. and ended up moving to D.C. Great job in investment banking. But I started seeing my friends go through it. It kept nagging at me in the back of my head thinking, there's really, why is there no option here for family caregivers when their parents hit that age? And so I started doing research and I'm now an expert on this, but I knew nothing about it at the time. But, you know, basically it sounds like we're talking about your listeners, 11,000 baby boomers are turning 65 every single day. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm one of them. I'm the, I'm the tail end. And what that means is, by 2030, the number of people over 65 are going to outnumber children for the first time in U.S. history. Mm. And by 2050, the number of people over 80 are tripling. And those are the people that probably need the most help. Um, now, I always tell people aging is not a bad thing, right? Aging is a good thing. When you stop aging, not so good. Mm-hmm. But um, what happens when we age? We start to need help. Um, and throughout history, that first line of support has come from family, like me helping my mom. Uh, but one of the things that I learned as I was really getting familiar with this whole longevity space is not only do we have all these baby boomers aging, families are getting smaller. So today there's seven family caregivers for every person over 80. By 2050, they're only going to be three. Wow. We had smaller families. I have Mm. one daughter. So, you know, is she going to take care of me? Gosh, I hope so. Mm. That's why we need neighbor force. But that's what really drove me to say, gosh, this is not just wasn't my problem. This is a huge problem. And about the very time that I was pulling all this together, there was a cover article in the Wall Street Journal that's headline says America's running out of family caregivers just when it needs the most. And so this has been coming for a while, people are starting to acknowledge that. So that was kind of the first step. Okay. So, uh, so your background was in finance, but you, you made this huge life pivot into the home healthcare industry. How did you go through that shift in skill sets? Yeah. Um, Well, for one thing, this is not home health. We are not healthcare. We're that bridge to healthcare. Okay. Um, 
And when I took my aptitude test in the seventh grade, it said, be an accountant or an engineer, don't be a nurse or a doctor. <laughs> I don't have that gene. Although, you know, people do change. Um, sure, but, yes. as, you know, as I was kind of going through this, and like I said, understanding the, really the magnitude of the issue, in my mind, I was thinking, you know, there's got to be a solution. And about the time I was going through this, two things happened. One, I'm now in a new city up in Washington, D.C., and new, and I, I wanted to be connected in the community and give back. I was always very active in Richmond. So I tried to sign up for Meals on Wheels. I love elderly people. Well, that was great. They said, awesome, Paige. Would you like to do every Wednesday or every Friday? Well, guess what? I couldn't commit to either. I traveled all the time for my job. Mm -hmm. So that was a little bit frustrating. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, I heard about a friend of mine back in Richmond, used to be a lawyer. She had left her career when her kids were maybe teenagers to finish raising them. And I heard she was driving Uber. And mm -hmm. I thought, what mm -hmm. in the world? Mm -hmm. So when I spoke with her, I said, you know, you're driving Uber. What's up with that? Like I knew she wasn't, didn't really need the money. And she said, you know, both of my boys have gone off to college. And I don't really want to go back to my career. I left that at a certain point and that ship has sailed. I don't really want a part-time job because I'm at the point in my life. I love the flexibility that I've earned. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. Uber is great. And she said, but I'm craving connection and, and a little bit of purpose. Mm -hmm. And so at least mm -hmm. Uber, I can take an afternoon and go drive around and talk to people. And that was the light bulb. I thought, wait. Mm -hmm. We have all these families and older people who need kind of a backup daughter or son. Uh, and we've got all these people like maybe this empty nester and retirees who love the idea of giving back in the community, kind of like I would at, at Meals on Wheels, and are craving purpose in their own lives. So maybe they could step in in little bits and pieces and fill in for these families. And that was really the birth of Neighbor Force. So, you know, we're repurposing these empty nesters early retirees, stay-at-home mom, school teachers, all these people who are looking in their own lives for a little bit of connection when it suits them. So that's what we do at Neighbor Force. Good, good. And, and I like to call it life version 2.0 in, in a way where you can sort of, you know, have more of a, a passion to the purpose. You know what I mean? It's like we have you know, the corporate job, the corporate career, or maybe, you know, the, the, a retiree or something like that, maybe transition out of the military and they want to do something different, right? Yeah. And so this is a way for people to reconnect with something that they can get more emotionally engaged with and, and really provide for the community, right? Absolutely. And it's so funny because, so, you know, I came up with this idea. I built a business plan. I flew down to Atlanta and quit my job and, and started. And, uh, you know, I had to prove a number of things as you do with a new startup. And nobody's ever questioned the demand or the need for it. Mm, so really, mm, the, the mm. things I needed to answer were, uh, will clients be willing to buy into this kind of Uber-like model? This is not your interviewing and picking one caregiver because it's very flexible. Mm -hmm. uh, and can we find the people to do it? And the answer is yes and yes. Mm -hmm. So from the very first month, we had paying clients. And what we found quickly, so I kept thinking this was a solution to help older people stay independent. And it is. Um, but pretty quickly, I realized, yes, we're solving their problem. But the real problem we're solving is that family caregiver. 
Mm-hmm. Me, I was the one that needed help. And so 80% of our accounts come from when the family hires us. Mm-hmm. And the older adults love this. They've got the dignity. They have a neighbor. It's improving their you know, um, social interactions, all of those things. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. For the adult kids who are hiring us, it's a lifesaver. You know, maybe they're out of town. Maybe they're stretched with jobs. Mm-hmm. Sandwich was still raising kids. All of those things. But and and they are eighty percent of who hires us. But the neighbors of all the stakeholders, they get the most out of it. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. And the average neighbor is doing this four to six hours a week. Some may be twelve to fifteen hours a week. This is not a twenty, thirty, forty hour a week job because of the nature of. Mm-hmm. Well, we're taking some of the beauty parlor. It might take an hour and a half. It might take two hours. You know, we're spending time with somebody in the home. So it's hard to stack up an eight hour day. But every day we have neighbors talking about how this has so enriched their lives. And it's mm-hmm. kind of like volunteering mm-hmm. and giving back in the community, but you're making a little money while you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And it's better than volunteering, not just the money. But the fact that you know in that hour or two that you're spending with this older adult, you're impacting their lives and they're impacting yours. And we get stories over and over and over. And I had a a neighbor come into the office yesterday. He was one of our early neighbors. I think he signed up when he was 74. So our average neighbor, Mm, by the way, is 54. They Mm -hmm. range from 20s up to late 70s. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jim was 74 when we hired him as a neighbor. Uh, and he was fabulous. And he used to go visit a woman who was in a nursing home, which isn't really, we're more helping in the home, but this lady, obviously all of her healthcare needs were taken care of, but the daughter couldn't be there and hated the idea of her mother sitting all day long, long in her wheelchair. So we had a couple neighbors that would visit her and Jim would go two hours, three days a week. Mm-hmm. She had gotten to the point she had trouble communicating, but he would read her the paper and play music and roll her down to bingo and things. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, and you could see she would light up. And so when COVID hit, Jim went inactive because he's in a high risk group, he and his wife. Mm-hmm. Well, he's decided he's vaccinated. He wants, he's missing this. And he came in yesterday to update his paperwork. And we were talking about this lady that had passed away. Mm. And I said, Jim, you know that you really made a difference and brought her joy mm-hmm. in that you know final year of her life. And he said, she brought me so much more joy. Mm. And this is mm. what we hear all the time. The neighbors are getting back more than they're giving. It's, so it, it's it's wonderful. It's reciprocal for sure. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's you know we say all the time we're, we're leveraging the strength of community mm-hmm. and harnessing technology to do something good in community. Right. Right. Sometimes right, technology right. can break down community, but it's helping to make those connections. Right. You know? Yeah, I, sure. Sure. I agree. So when you first launched, what were your biggest hurdles? Oh, yeah. You know, it's, um, gosh, so many to name. Hmm. Yeah, it, it's kind of uh, the unknown. You know, it's very different in a large corporate environment than a startup environment. So I uh, thought I went into it with my eyes wide open. I had no idea. Um, and I thought I worked really hard in this investment banking job and I got a nice paycheck for it, but shoot, that was a walk in the park compared to this. (laughs) Um, and people said at the time it takes longer than you think it's going to take. And it has, Mm -hmm. I mean, we are growing like crazy, but it's still, it's a process. Um, Mm -hmm. and I don't think I really expected this either, but some people say, Oh, that's great. You know, be your own boss. Well, 
<laughs> it's awful being your own boss. One, I have to report to me. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. two, I, I've got more bosses than I ever had. In the corporate world, I had people reporting to me and I reported up, but the buck, buck didn't ultimately stop with me. Right. Mm-hmm. Now the buck stops with me. Mm-hmm. But I also have employees that I'm accountable to, and I have clients that I'm accountable to, neighbors, and now investors. So Mm -hmm. I've got a lot of bosses out there, (laughs) for sure. And the other thing I would say in the early days is, uh, and this is good for, you know, people in the second act, if you want to call it that, but I had to do everything myself. There was no calling the IT department if I had a computer problem or the Mm -hmm. accounting department. Mm -hmm. And when I started doing pitch decks in PowerPoint, I used to have people who had people who did my PowerPoint decks. I'd never made a PowerPoint deck. I'd presented (laughs) multitudes. So, you know, um, it's a lot of learning things new and figuring it out, but that's invigorating too. It it is. Sure. Sure. So what sort of developed differently with neighbor force than what you expected? If you look at the original pitch deck that I did before I quit my job, we're doing exactly what I said we needed to do. Really? Wow. We have not pivoted. We are matching older adults mm-hmm. to people in the community and filling this void. And that really hasn't changed during COVID when it first hit. We thought, okay, is this going to crush our business? You know, it was it was scary. And it was also hard personally because this is the time we knew our clients needed us the most during when, when COVID first hit, cause they were isolating, but we couldn't be there for them. Mm. So that, that was hard, but we thought about pivoting and said, okay, we can't be in person. Let's go to non-contact offerings. You know, we can do grocery shopping and we can do all these things. And we did some of that, but that's not the core thing we were trying to solve. We're not trying to be Instacart. Mm-hmm. That's not what our neighbors are signing up for mm-hmm. is to go grocery shopping. They like mm-hmm. the connection with the client. Mm-hmm. Um, And we could do phone check-ins and Zoom check-ins and stay connected a little bit that way. But I always tell people, again, that's not the problem we're trying to solve. You can't make a grilled cheese sandwich over Zoom. Mm -hmm. You can't get the fitted sheet on the bed Mm -hmm. over Zoom. Mm -hmm. It's this Mm -hmm. in-person connection that is really what makes it work. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. after people got comfortable with masking up and so forth, we started back in the home. And that's that's where we need to be. Mm -hmm. There are tons and tons of technology solutions for older adults. And they're great. You know, telehealth is a great thing. Remote monitoring, virtual reality, all kinds of things like that. And we need all those pieces together to help support us as we age. But at least in my lifetime, they're not going to replace a person, that human connection that we all crave. Mm -hmm. So how do you break into a new community? Yeah. So, uh, the way we do it and we're still learning. So we're in, uh, three markets in Virginia, uh, in the Raleigh triangle, uh, Chapel Hill and Durham in North Carolina, and then up in Bethesda, Chevy Chase, Maryland. And when we go into a new market, we put somebody that's kind of the market manager, we call them a neighborhood lead. And that is a person in the community. I say they're the culture carrier of neighbor force because that's so important, but they're building trust. You know, this is still a new area. People don't quite understand what it is. You know, it's definitely not Uber, but somewhat like Uber. And so people need to get comfortable. They're turning over their parents, you know, to these neighbors that are coming into their homes. So the neighborhood lead is creating trust, 
opening doors in the community, both for clients and for recruiting neighbors. And I think the neighbor side is the biggest, bigger job for the neighborhood lead because the clients are rolling in. When people learn about neighbor force, if they've got that need, there's nothing like it and they love it. So really the neighborhood lead is creating community and finding those warm-hearted people who would love to do this a couple hours a week, um, you know, and give back in the community and make these connections and then earn a little money while they're doing it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So getting back to uh, your time in uh, corporate uh, bank, uh, banking finance, right? Um, mm -hmm. How did you sort of um, uh, officially make that shift out? <laughs> oh, I just parachuted right out. There was... <laughs> You know, I, um, I don't know. I think it was just the experience with my mother. I always loved my career. Um, mm -hmm. and I loved it even when I was, you know, the one that I left, but I don't, you know, I don't know if it was a calling, but you know, it was something that was really in me saying, this is a, this is a problem. I felt it. I see my friends feeling it. And then when the, solution became so obvious and we had somebody say you know, it like it's hidden in plain sight mm -hmm. it makes total sense now that you hear it mm -hmm. why did why weren't we doing this before mm -hmm. you know i felt like i had to do it and when we talk in the healthcare space particularly to investors and people like that um you know we're adjacent to healthcare and healthcare companies know that we're improving the outcomes of patients their patients all the time mm -hmm. because we are creating you know this combating social isolation and keeping them in their homes. But um, because I didn't come from healthcare, I could kind of jump the curve and see this made so much sense to me. I was an econ major, supply and demand. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the healthcare world, they're trying to figure out how to, you know, take aides and nurses and fit them in here. And this is not that this is a community level solution. It's not healthcare. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in your startup, process when you first started to launch how did you build your team yeah that's that's a tricky part um so it was me for about a year and i bootstrapped and i really felt like i need to spend the time to make sure this is going to be a viable business before i put other people's careers and capital at risk so mm -hmm. after a year i brought on um, a chief technical officer um, technology officer cto and went out and raised a small round of kind of pre-seed angel round capital mm -hmm. and used that to start to build a technology platform. So I had used open source software to kind of prove it out an MVP, mm -hmm. which was great. Mm -hmm. The fact that I was capital constrained was actually a good thing because some people might go out and build this fancy platform to support a business only to find when they test it either there's no real business there or they built the wrong tech. So mm -hmm. we had a year of learning what I thought would work and then we mm -hmm. built it, which mm -hmm. was great. Mm -hmm. And at that point started building the team. And then um, when it became, had that tech and, and confident that we could scale this, then we went out and raised some venture capital this past summer. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so how many are on the team right now? Um, I think we have seven on the team. Um, and then, you know, hundreds and hundreds of neighbors right, right. that are out in the field. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. But adding quickly. So we'll be adding two more markets. I think it's nine on the team. Sorry. But anyway, we're growing so quickly. Yeah. Two more markets before year end. And then 
six in the first or second quarter of next year. And then we kind of think we hopefully will have that playbook of how we do this, as we talked about, and we can move quicker because we get calls from all over the country. Mm-hmm. People saying, oh my gosh, when are you going to be in St. Louis? When are you going to be in Boston? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, because when we talk about our market neighbor force in our current markets, well, that's great. But we have all these people that say, I need this, but my parents live, you know, in these other places. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So our goal is to get to as many as we can. Great. Yeah. I'm, I, I hope it happens quickly for you. So a, lo- a lot of the content that's on the podcast it, it deals with turning your dream into a reality, you know, and the, the process of, of that and having confidence in yourself and, and, you know, having that dream that's maybe been in the back of your head for 10 to 20 years or whatever, and finally oh, yeah. pulling the trigger, finally, you know, uh, going in that, that forward motion where you're taking steps to toward your dream right what would you say what would you say to somebody that's been sitting on the fence they have this idea in the back of their head for what they want to do but they're not quite sure if they have you know the skill sets uh but they have the passion for the idea what would you say to someone like that yeah gosh I'm not a good person to ask because I'm very impatient and very competitive and my husband used to say you know I hate gray area. And it's so true. (laughs) So I could not have sat on this for 20 years. You know, this is something that came up. And in the course of five months, I went from the idea to quitting my job. But um, what I have learned in the startup world is the number one thing that you need is the passion for the solution. (laughs) And so if somebody has the passion, but they don't feel confident that they have the skill set, you know, maybe find the compliment to help you with that. and go for it. I, I, mm-hmm. You know, you, you hate to have my daughter's trying to be an actor and that's a tough road. Right. And she's so well-educated and so smart, but you know, she needs to try that now. She doesn't want to find herself 50 years old and think, you know, I never went for my dream. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a person who goes for it. Um, but y- everybody, you know, there are different circumstances in life too. I was at a position where I could, you know, I had, um, had nice paycheck, had a great career. My daughter was raised. I could take that risk. You know, mm-hmm. if you're mm-hmm. 38 with four children at home, you might not be able to take that risk. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And, and so you took your passion and you pitched for investors, right? Mm-hmm. How did that process go for you? Um, it went pretty well. Uh, it's, it's fun pitching the company. Until you get the naysayers that are like, I'm not sure about that, but that's okay. Um, That's where you've got to have thick skin. And, you know, people will tell you you have to pitch 100, 200 investors. We didn't have to do that many, but we did plenty. Don't get me wrong. And I would say 98% of them were amazing. If they said no, it would be, you're too early or we want to see more revenue or we don't feel comfortable with marketplace companies. You know, we didn't really have people say, this is a stupid idea. Um, you know, they might question things about the business model, um, but it, it's not easy. And as I told a group recently, I had heard when I first got in the startup world, and I didn't really work on venture capital in the past, but people said raising capital as a female founder is very difficult. Hmm. And I thought, well, that sounds stupid. I mean, I'd spent my whole career in male dominated industries and being a woman was indifferent. Like I didn't matter. I mm-hmm. never thought that. However, when I started looking into it, it's interesting because 
I, you hear it a lot. You hear it a lot. I'm reading the statistics. Well, companies founded by women exit faster than companies founded by men. Hmm. Companies founded by women have a higher ROI. And part of it is because women are more capital efficient. Hmm. And I thought, well, sure, this should be easy, right? But the sad reality is last year, 2.4% of all venture capital went to female founded companies. Hmm. Like, How could this be? And I I don't feel like it's, um, it's not men like, ah, we don't want to invest in women. That's not really it. Um, it is twofold. It's it's kind of relationship-based, and most of the decision-makers in venture capital are men. So it's who you know. Men know other men in their network, uh, and they're just not enough women venture capital investors. So it's upon women you know, to get more involved in that. And one of our larger investors is a fund that was founded by women that invest in female founders. So that's kind of exciting. But, um, you know, the... Yeah, the fundraising, we we got pretty far down the road with a VC who, as people, individuals, I like, as the firm, it was clear they weren't going to be a good partner for us. They were demanding things. It just did not seem fair and very one-sided. So we parted ways and went went with another fund. And our lead investor now is amazing. So um, amazing. Good, good. Did you have any uh, uh, thoughts of having a partner or no? I did, um, but not the right partner just never kind of materialized as I was in the early stage. And then I was kind of too far along to bring in a Mm -hmm. co-founder. But, you know, the members on the team, many of them have ownership interests in the company, for sure. That helps. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. So beyond adding more communities, is there anything else in the vision for Neighbor Force? Um, you know, that's the biggest thing is our core offering. There are a lot of ways that we'll continue to build that out and improve it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're evaluating all of those and how we go to market. We just announced we're working with employers, for instance, as backup care. Okay. Because 50% of employees are taking care of elderly parents and they have nowhere to turn. Mm-hmm. So employers are very excited about this. Mm-hmm. You know, they're losing productivity. Their mm-hmm. healthcare costs are going up because of it. Mm-hmm. But the main thing is, A, after COVID, they want to support kind of the overall well-being of their employee base, you know, not just financially. And they're understanding that elder care, unlike child care, is hurting them in the most senior offices, right? So the mm-hmm. young ones are leaving over childcare stresses and strains, but mm-hmm. it's shown that there's a direct correlation between title and propensity to have to leave the workforce for elder caregiving. And it's often women. Mm -hmm. So the employers are saying, wow, this is another tool to support our senior women to keep them in the workforce. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of exciting. Mm -hmm. But, you know, way down the road, it's take neighbor force, monetize it, you know, in a large manner, and then take some of that and fund a foundation to help the people we can't help because we are for pay, Mm -hmm. right? It's, Mm -hmm. Uh, we're for profit. We have to be to build this company right. today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we could have a foundation, there are a lot of people that we can't serve right now. Oh. And that's hard. Mm. So Sounds that's good. my personal vision. Sounds good. So Paige, if somebody wants to connect with Neighbor Force uh, and be a part of a, a good neighbor, yeah, uh, we're what, how, always looking for good neighbors. How would they, yeah. How would, Won't how you be my that? neighbor? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, 
In Richmond, mm-hmm. the phone number, if they wanted to call, is 804-500-6227. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of Richmond, we have local numbers, but it's my neighbor, one 844 Uh, Or, of course, the website, which is neighborforce.com, and it's spelled like labor force, but with an N. And you can learn all about, you know, the offerings for clients. And then there's a section about becoming a neighbor. Um, And like I said, you talk to any of the neighbors and they will tell you this is the most satisfying thing they've done. Mm. It's it's amazing. There's a um, another a neighbor who's a gentleman who was in advertising at a local TV station. And the TV station called on me to advertise there. And I said, oh, you know, one of our neighbors used to work for you all. And the guy, this young man said, that's part of the reason I called you, Paige, because I knew him during his career here. And I knew he had retired and I ran into him recently and he's a changed person. Mm. And he talks about what this means to him. And he does a couple visits a week. Mm. So, Mm. yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. So yes, love to get some neighbors. It's like life changing on both ends for sure. It, it really is. Mm-hmm. It really is. Well, Paige, thanks for taking some time today to explain sure. what Neighbor Force is, how you sort of made that transition. Uh, we talk a lot about that transition in the podcast, and it was good yeah. good to hear you know your shift out of the corporate world and into being an entrepreneur. And congratulations on very successful uh, you know business that you have with NeighborForce, and look forward to seeing you in more communities. Thanks for your time today. That's great. I appreciate it. Well, friends, that about wraps it up for this episode. Please click on the follow or subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. And feel free to send in a question or a comment about the podcast as well, because I really want to deliver the best content I can for you and answer any questions you might have. Don't forget the free resources I have at tomclaremont.com slash resources. Uh, in the notes as well, you'll see links for the ebook of the month club, Uh, and starting your own podcast. There is a a free download for you if you want to start your own podcast. But always, folks, stay encouraged, follow your dream, and don't give up.